there are growing number of businesses who utilize graphology as a test for their prospective employees. Graphology is a study of handwriting. And the reason the handwriting is studied by employers for the purpose of character analysis. Experts in this field claim that based on certain handwriting distinctives, they can draw certain conclusions regarding one's personality. I am told that the style of handwriting for each of us is different and that the style of our handwriting can determine by those folks whether we are outgoing or introvert or what our personality is like just simply by seeing the handwriting. Well, I don't understand it, but uh, I take their word for it. (laughs) And I'm not here to argue for or against. What this has brought to me very close home is biblical truth. And the biblical truth is this. 2 Corinthians 3, 2, the apostle Paul tells us that the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are in a written epistle. And that written epistle is known and read by everyone. How are the people reading you? How are the people are reading me? We live in a culture that is becoming less and less concerned with character. At a time when the Lord Jesus Christ in His manifesto gives us these clear distinctives about the Christian character. And somebody asked me, said, what are the indications that our culture has shifted from biblical norms to hedonistic lifestyle? Well, it's not very hard to perceive it. It is not very hard to discern it. You can see it in the way that we have become more driven by feelings than by faith. In the way that our culture seems to be propelled by emotions alone. And emotions are good. There's nothing wrong with them. But emotions seem to have taken over. And endurance has taken a back seat to it. As the outside world focuses more on pathos, The Christian character stands on principles. As Hollywood motivates by ecstasy, the Christian character stands for conviction and commitment. No wonder in today's world we view happiness as a subjective state instead of being an objective judgment. And that is why so many Christians in the churches today have a very hard time comprehending the Master's manifesto For when Jesus said, happy are you, he never meant the feeling of happiness. That is passing. That can go up and down depending on the circumstances. And if that's what Jesus really meant, imagine him saying, blessed are you who mourn. (laughs) Happy are you who mourn. First of all, I want to tell you, he does not mean mourning over the loss of loved ones. Does not mean mourning over financial losses. Does not mean mourning over loss of self-respect. Jesus meant none of that. In the last message, we saw that the first stage of spiritual blessing, the first stage of developing Christian character, is by acknowledging and declaring publicly That we have nothing of ourselves. That we have no spiritual power of our own. We saw that to be poor in spirit is to declare spiritual bankruptcy. 
that to be poor in spirit is to empty ourselves of ourselves in order to be filled of the Spirit of God. To be poor in spirit is to come to the realization that I have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, nothing with which I could buy favor of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to declare with the hymn writer, Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I will die. That is what it means to be poor in spirit. To such people, said Jesus, belongs the kingdom of heaven. Today, as we come to the second stage of blessing, turn with me if you haven't already. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Where Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning has different forms, as I'm going to see in a minute. But mourning in any of its forms are familiar, I dare say, to all of us. (laughs) And I'm sure some of you have identified at some point in your life with the psalmist in Psalm 55. When he said, oh, that I had wings of a dove that I would fly away and be at rest, that I would flee far away, that I would hasten to my place of shelter from the tempest and the storm. I'm sure some of us, if not all of us, have felt this way at some point. Yet in reality, for most people, comfort is a very elusive thing. There are some think that their comfort is in a pill. Some think that their comfort is in drugs. Some think their comfort is in a bottle. Some think that their comfort is in denial of reality. There's some who think that comfort is in traveling far and wide. There's some who think that comfort is in excessive work. But they will find it in none of these places. Because those who are truly be comforted are those who know how to mourn. And as we saw in the last message in this Master's Manifesto, I explained to you that it is a paradox. And this paradox could not be even clearer anywhere in those Beatitudes than this second one here. It is so clear, it hits you in the face. What would be more self-contradictory than happy are the unhappy? That's really what he said. That's what he said. Happy are the unhappy. What can be more self-contradictory than the sad are happy? That's what he's saying. The way to happiness is sadness. The road to joy and rejoicing is through moaning. Now, I'm sure when Mr. Average or Miss Average hear this or read this in the scripture, they say, that's absurd. And you know what? I agree with them. (laughs) Given their world point of view, I agree. It is absurd. Because the world tells us that to be happy is to avoid pain. To be happy is to avoid disappointments. To be happy is to avoid frustrations. To be happy is to avoid hardships. To be happy is to avoid sorrow and grief and mourning. The whole world is now singing, if I can only do it my way, I'll be happy. (laughs) But Jesus says, happy are the unhappy. Happy are the sad. But even Jesus goes a little further with this absurdity in Luke chapter 6 and verse 25. He said, well, to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And in John chapter 16, verse 20, Jesus said to his disciples, said, look, you will weep and you'll mourn while the world rejoices. 
And I must admit to you, as I read this and got over it again and again, and I, I understand the, the art of leadership, and I understand all that I read from every direction about leadership, I said, what kind of a leader is this? <laughs> I mean, what kind of a staff motivational seminar is this? He's telling them, happy are the unhappy. What kind of a, an incentive package he's offering his followers? They're not much, but before you answer those questions... I want to tell you that there are three types of mourning in the scripture. There is a mourning that emanates out of self-pity. There is mourning that emanates out of doubting of God's word. There is mourning that emanates out of unfulfilled lust, like that of Amnon, the son of David. There is mourning that emanates out of a destroyed ambitions and destroyed dreams. But then the Bible tells us that a second type of mourning, this type of mourning is legitimate. This type of mourning is proper and it is right. This type of mourning is God's gift to us to help us cope with life's difficulties and with life's disappointments. This type of sorrow is like a safety valve that let out the air, that poison air of pain and grief. This type of sorrow, this type of mourning is like the bomb that is placed on a wound. This type of mourning is God's provision for us to receive healing and to receive solace. You know, the Arabs have several interesting sayings, but one of the sayings they have is, too much sunshine makes a Sahara. They know that. (laughs) They experience that. Too much sunshine will make a Sahara. And I want to tell you that a trouble-free life is a shallow life. I'll probably hear some of you saying, man, I'd like to live in the shallow end for just a little while. (laughs) Just give me that for a while. Give me a break. (laughs) I understand. I want to tell you something that really have touched my heart. Several years ago, and I have never forgotten this, there was a man who wrote some of the most beautiful music in the history of Christendom, in my judgment. Yet he lived a life of sorrow, a life of mourning, and that never stopped him from writing music, magnificent music, beautiful music. By the age of 10, both parents died. He was raised by an older brother who raised him begrudgingly, who who resented the fact that he's got another mouth to feed. As an adult, his life was marked by sorrow and mourning. His first wife died after they'd been married for 13 years. Out of 20 children from two marriages, 10 died in infancy. One died in his 20s, and one was mentally retarded. Now you would say, this is enough for two lifetimes. But that's not it. That's not all. He eventually went blind. And then he was paralyzed by a stroke. And yet he continued to write music, great music, wonderful music, music of profound praise, thunderous thanksgiving, and all-filled adoration of God. He was this, who lived such a life of mourning and sorrow as no other than Johann Sebastian Bach. A devout Lutheran, perhaps the world's greatest composer of church music of his day. Listen to me, please. Even in the deepest depth of despair, God's blessings are there. Timothy was prone to discouragement and despondency. 
which led Paul to tell him in 2 Timothy 1.4, he said, Timothy, I always remember your tears. The apostle Paul himself mourned in Acts 20 when he was departing from the Ephesians elder to warn them about what is going to happen to them. Jeremiah in chapter 9 and verse 1, you find him there in anguish over Israel's sin, so much so that he could say, Oh, that my head was a spring of water, and that my eyes were fountain of tears, that I may weep day and night over my people. But then the Bible gives us a third type of mourning. And it is this type of mourning which Jesus uses here, refers to in this passage of Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This type of mourning is a godly mourning. This type of sorrow is godly sorrow. This type of mourning is the only sorrow, listen to me please, this is the only type of sorrow that will help you spiritually grow and mature you. To the full stature of Christ. In the first beatitude Jesus said. The entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The entrance into the kingdom of God. Begins by being poor in spirit. Poverty in spirit. Is going to lead you. Into mourning over sin. Those who are poor in spirit. Will become. Those who will mourn. It was this type of mourning. That the Bible said Peter mourned after he denied his friend Jesus, his Lord. The Bible said he wept bitterly. The Greek word here that Jesus translated from the Aramaic into Greek is the word pentheo, which means a heartfelt grief. It's not just an emotional feeling. It has nothing to do with emotions. It is a deep inner feeling of anguish. It is used in Genesis 37 and 34 when Jacob's boys came and lied to him and told him that Joseph was devoured by a wild animal. That is the feeling he was feeling. It is used in Mark 16 verse 10 when the disciples mourned before they knew that Jesus was raised from the dead. It was used in the book of Revelation chapter 18 verses 11 and 15 where there it says that one day before the return of Christ the whole world economy is going to be dependent on each other and then one day the whole world economy is going to collapse and the business people the Bible said are going to mourn. That's the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about. It's so deep and it's an inner agony. It is the mourning that you and I must feel toward our sin and our disobedience and not taking our salvation lightly. An aspiring young minister went to visit in Dundee, Scotland some time ago because it was shortly after Robert Murray McCheney Died And Robert Murray McCheney died at the age of 30. But not before God used him in a mighty way to touch Scotland. Many people came to the kingdom through the ministry. That very, very short ministry of Robert Murray McCheney. And a young man just out of seminary, aspiring to be a minister, went to that church in Dundee, Scotland, and to ask, what is the secret of, of the influence and the power that McCheney had? And the old sexton looked at him and he said, come with me. He led him to the church and first he went into the rectory and he showed him some of McCheney's books. Some of them were still laying at the table. And then he motioned to a chair that the evangelist 
had used. And, and he said to the young man, he motioned to him and said, sit down and put your elbow on the table. And the visitor obeyed. He said, now put your head in your hands. And the young man complied. He said, now let tears flow. For that's what McShaney did. The next he led him into the church and took him into the pulpit. And he said, put your elbows on the pulpit. And the visitor did. And he said, now put your face in your hands. And the young man complied. He said, now let tears flow. For that's what McShaney used to do. Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be truly comforted. Jesus is not saying that happiness comes from the act of mourning itself. No, please listen carefully. But rather that happiness comes with what God does in response to our mourning. Happiness comes with the forgiveness and the healing that results from such mourning. Comfort can only be experienced by those who are prone to weep over their sin and not gloss over it. Godly mourning brings God's forgiveness, which brings God's happiness and God's comfort. This is the kind of mourning that Jesus is speaking about. He's not speaking about the psychological, emotional experience that makes people feel better. And they go out and within a matter of few days, they back to square one. No, that's not what he's talking about. The world says that when you find yourself in trouble, all you need to do is you grit your teeth a little harder, you lift up your chin a little higher, you blast a smile on your face, and you pretend to be happy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus said that the only way to be happy, the only way that you can have genuine smile, the only way that you can be truly comforted is when you confess and mourn over sin. Please hear me right. I don't want you to misunderstand me. It comes from the very depth of my heart. That when you have a secret sin in your life, no amount of positive thinking will help you. No amount of possibility thinking will comfort you. No amount of hard work will hide you. No amount of self-affirmation is going to heal you. Sin and happiness are completely, totally, absolutely, positively, now ran out of adjectives. <laughs> incompatible. They are incompatible. They cannot coexist together. Until sin is forgiven and washed by the blood of the Lamb, happiness is going to stand out in the cold in your life. Mourning over sin brings forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin brings true joy and happiness. And joy and happiness can only be experienced through mourning. No, any other way. Now the Bible recognizes legitimate sense of humor. Please understand, I'm not against that. And I'm not preaching against that. In fact, when I tell you what I'm talking about in terms of mourning, you'll understand. I'm not talking as mourning versus laughing. In fact, the book of Proverbs said, 1722, the joyful heart is good medicine. But the heart that rejoices in sin... Listen carefully. The heart that rejoices in sin is not taking medicine. It's taking a poison tablet. It's a sugar-coated tablet. 
I don't want you to misunderstand this text or even me. Jesus is not talking about the morbid type of mourning. He is not talking about the despairing type of mourning. He is not talking about this false humility type of mourning. Jesus is not talking about wallowing in self-pity and mourning. No. In fact, true mourning over sin does not focus on ourselves. True mourning over sin does not even focus on the sin. True mourning focuses on God who forgives us our sins. When Paul made this famous statement in Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, I am convinced in my heart in the context of the passage, he was mourning over sin. But he does not dwell there. He doesn't stay there. He goes in in verse 25 and he says, The way to victory is through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knew where to get the victory. But he also knew that the victory of yesterday will not stretch for tomorrow. And the victory of tomorrow is not going to be stretched for the day after. And the victory of last year is not going to last you for this year. That the victory is a daily conquest. Have you ever asked yourself, what are the marks of Christian maturity? Certainly you know it's not sinlessness. That's not what I'm saying. In case you some are thinking I'm, I'm saying that, please let me disabuse you of this. It's not sinlessness. That's going to be in heaven. But the mark of spiritual maturity is a growing awareness of the sinfulness of sin. That's the mark of growing Christian maturity. For the Apostle John said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, if we mourn over our sin, if we hand our sin over, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and wash us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want to illustrate to you what I mean by the sinfulness of sin. The Romans sometimes compelled a captured enemy soldier to be joined face to face with a dead body. There they remained until the horrible efflovia destroys the life of the living victim. Virgil writes, describes this cruel punishment in this way. He said, the living and the dead at his command were coupled face to face and hand to hand till choked with stench in Lowe's embrace tied the living wretched Pine away and die. Spiritually speaking, this is what sin does. Spiritually speaking, this is sin. As if in real life, it's translated spiritually, been face to face with a dead body. And stay there. Stay there. Eventually, it will choke you Spiritually. Until we mourn over, until we confess it, we will not receive God's comfort. God promised that just as our mourning over sin rises to heaven, by return mail, you're going to receive comfort. Immediately. There is no waiting time. Immediately. As your confession rises to heaven, by return mail, you'll receive comfort. We all know the comfort of a father and a mother, but I want to tell you the comfort of God is much greater. Have you ever experienced the comforting of God? I sure have. 
And I tell you sometimes, in times when I least feel that I deserve it, not only that God comforts us here and now, because some people say, well, that's going to be in heaven. No, sir, the tense does not indicate that. He's going to comfort us here and now, but also in heaven, permanently in heaven. One of the great promises in the book of Revelation is that he shall wipe away our tears. How? Because there no longer will be mourning over sin. I want to tell you this and I'm going to conclude. As I spend time before the Lord going through this and preparing this and I'll bring you a word from the Lord, I began to think, what are the things that stops Christians from proper mourning over sin? In fact, it's the very thing that stops unbelievers from coming to the kingdom. First of all, I'm going to tell you, conceit. Conceit. Conceit will always hinder you from mourning. What do I mean by conceit? Conceit tells you that there is nothing in your life that you need to mourn over. The problem is with the other people. The problem is not with you. The problem is with your spouse. The problem is with your children. The problem is with your parents. You know, the problem is with these other people in the church. The problem is with these other people in your work. You really have nothing to mourn over. That will hinder you from mourning and will hinder you subsequently from receiving the comfort that comes from the hand of the Lord. You know, callus will grow in any part of the skin by rubbing on it just a little while. And that part of the skin becomes callous. And when we become insensitive to God's voice, our hearts grow callous to sin. Consequently, we do not mourn. I hear people, when they are knee-deep in sin, they say to me, this is the way everybody lives. Sure, my sin is bad, but it's not as bad as some of these other people. After all, God has forgiven me. Please hear me right. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn over their sin, for they shall be truly comforted. The second thing that I have watched in people that will hinder them from proper mourning and consequently keeping true happiness locked out of their life permanently, seems at least, is despair. Despair. And by despair, I mean giving up on God. By despair, I mean putting ourselves out of God's grace. The ones who are in despair often say, I am destined to sin. It is part of human nature. It cannot be helped. What despair does is excuses sin. Despair hinders God's mercy. Despair denies the fact that God is calling us. Even He's longing for us to come and mourn over our sin so that He can comfort us. Do you know that God really longs to comfort you today? He really does. If there is a sermon which levels the ground for preachers and listeners alike, this one is. We all stand on equal footing. For we all have fallen short 
As we come to a holy God who loves us so and longs to comfort us, don't let despair on the one hand or conceit on the other hand stop you from searching your heart and mourning over sin in order that you may experience the comfort of the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come to you with confidence. Not in us, but in the Lord Jesus Christ, our intercessor, who longs to comfort us, who longs to bless us, who longs to enrich us. And we come to you mourning over anything that has hindered our love for you, anything that hindered our growth in you, anything that has hindered our serving of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Cleanse us and comfort us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.